invite you to have a seat. We'll continue our time of worship. <clears throat> good morning, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to take them. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3 as we introduce a new chapter in our study this morning. Missed my cue just a little bit, came out of touch early. Did you notice how nervous the worship band, they, they thought I was going to join them in worship. <laughs> Getting a little nervous up there. What's he doing here? It's not what he does. Welcome this morning to Big Woods Bible Church. Those of you that are here present, I commend you. Those of you that are tuning in online, I know that there are many. Thank you for your faithfulness, your commitment. We will get through this rather unique season that we are in. We will get through this all right. As we prepare... To celebrate Christmas, I think you'd agree, there seems to be just a little bit of a different sensation this year. A lot more Amazon boxes arriving and less people out and about. I think it's telltale by way of how different things are. When this week I read a letter, it actually made the national news. Some of you may have heard of it. A family in St. Anthony, Minnesota, received an anonymous letter from one of their neighbors and it read this I quote I couldn't help but notice your Christmas lights display during these unprecedented times we've all experienced challenges which casual words just don't describe what we're feeling the idea of twinkling colorful lights are a reminder of divisions that continue to run through our society. A reminder of systemic biases against our neighbors who don't celebrate Christmas or who can't afford to put lights up of their own. We must do the work of educating ourselves about the harmful impact an outward-facing display like yours can have. I challenge you to respect the dignity of all people while striving to learn from differences, ideas, and opinions of our neighbors. We must come together collectively and challenge these institutional inequities. This is, this is the last line that gets me. St. Anthony is a community welcoming of all people, and we must demand better for ourselves and notice that there is no name attached to the end of the letter is it just me <clears throat> or is that just a little weird for somehow just the idea that well with christmas coming let let's put some lights up no don't do that because that's that's biasness that is the world people that we are living in today that, that actually describes, as sad as, as it is, as tragic as it is, that's an accurate description of, of the place that you and I are to bring good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ into. Is that going to be a hard task this season? You better believe it. It's a hard task any year, and it is especially, especially difficult this year. So I, I commend you for coming here this morning because we have got to become experts with this book and in this truth if we are going to fulfill the commission 
that God has called us to do. We know that we cannot do this in and of our our own strength. Um, We need the Lord. And so would you bow your heads and pray with me as we begin our time looking into the Word of God. Father, we are amazed that we can come directly to you, all because of Jesus. I am so grateful for your word that we have before us, your spirit that is among us. We thank you for this day that has been set aside from from other days to focus all of our attention on you. And now with your word open before us, and Lord, we are honest, we are living in just weird times that we admit, I admit, we don't fully know how to put one foot in front of the other. We thank you, Lord, for the confidence that we can have as your children. We call you our Father. Thank you for the boldness. Thank you for the bravery that you give to us to be truth-tellers. God, our prayer is that we would speak truth in love. I do pray, Lord, specifically right now for many people who are struggling, struggling with the sense of, of loneliness, having been separated, a sense of fear. God, I would ask that you would allow us to minister to one another. Pastor Josh already mentioned to bear one another's burdens, to make life a little easier by coming alongside. Father, I ask for help today that you would give me wisdom as I look into your word and that we would learn together. May you be glorified. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, we know not to belabor things, but it's been a little heavy. Okay, the book of Romans so far, um, kind of foreboding. You could almost say, well, this book is kind of dark and depressing. And you're like, why, why again are we studying the book of Romans? That's right, because it's been a really, really difficult year where people have struggled with discouragement and fear. So let's, let's, Let's talk about the wrath of God, and let's talk about the judgment of God, right? Right? That makes perfect sense. No, no, the reason is because what? The time for truth is now. Now more than ever before, we have got to know what we believe. We have got to know what hope is offered, what matters in light of eternity We have to know what are we to tell others. We have to know what direction we are supposed to face. If you realize it or not, but it's actually actually in difficult days. It's in difficult times and seasons just like this that the church of Jesus Christ is actually strengthened. Strengthened in its core doctrine and belief and position. We can be strengthened in our ministry towards one another. How to love. How to extend grace and care and concern for one another's. So far, chapters 1 and chapters 2, God has revealed himself to us through the incarnation and through creation. So much so that mankind is without excuse. But what happened? Man became futile in their thinking. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Their foolish hearts became darkened. And so what? It's repeated three times, those tragic words. God gave them up. God gave them up, God gave them up to dishonorable lives. 
debase living. We, we, have, we have heard, we have read repeatedly, we have learned that the whole world, the whole world is condemned. The whole world is damned apart from the hope that exists in the Lord Jesus Christ. Basically, all of mankind has no defense. And that's difficult news to hear, particularly because what? The world is very religious. In this particular context, what the Jewish people were very religious. And so when you are reminded of the fact that what? You cannot be saved. You cannot be justified by, by knowledge. Knowledge of the law. You cannot be saved. You cannot be justified by works of the law. So where do we go? We turn the page to a new chapter. Romans chapter 3 this morning. Finally, finally, we begin to see some light at the end of the tunnel. But don't get too excited because right now that light, it's kind of small. It's kind of distant. No, it's not a freight train that's coming right for us, but, but it is going to be a little while before we get there. But it is in this chapter. Romans chapter 1, 18, all the way through Romans chapter 3, verse 20. It is dark, but it's always darkest before the dawn. So we don't give up hope. There's hope. There's good news. Now what I've decided to do is, is to preach all of Romans chapter 3 in one message. But there's part 1, part 2, and part 3 that's going to take us three weeks to get through it. It breaks up very, very easily when we speak about the righteousness of God. I call it the standard, verses 1 through 8. The dilemma, verses 9 through 20. And the solution... Verses 21 to 31. So let's just focus this morning on the first eight verses. Romans chapter 3. Pick it up with me. I'll read. The words will be in front of you on the screen. I read from the English Standard Version. The word of the Lord. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much... In every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That, that God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way, by no means. For then, how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil? That good may come. Some people slanderously charge us with saying. Their condemnation is just. If you notice anything about scripture. You will count I believe. Ten question marks. Ten questions. In these eight verses. We've been following the church of Rome. As the Apostle Paul has been creating a case of, of who 
God is. He is creator of the world. He is savior of the world, graciously offering salvation, what? By faith alone, sola fide, in Christ alone, solus Christos. And what is to come and what is for us who accept chapter 2, verse 7, it says eternal life. And those who reject chapter 2, verse 8, wrath and fury. So we get to this new chapter, this new text, and we're going to look at the fact that God's righteousness is heard through his word. Number one, God's righteousness is heard for all of us, and it's going to be heard through the Bible. After Paul makes the argument, we saw this last week, that it is the Holy Spirit that transforms inwardly. Remember the heart, Jeremiah chapter 4, we looked at Ezekiel chapter 36, that he removes a hard heart and he puts in a heart of flesh. We know that the Holy Spirit does the work. The question is asked in this text, is there any advantage? Is there any value to being Jewish at all. Now remember, it goes all the way back to the whole story of the Old Testament, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, Moses. From the patriarchs to the priests to the kings to the prophets, God has been doing something with these people. And the question, is there any advantage at all? Paul responds, much. In, in every way. And then he says this to begin with, and automatically for you and I, we're like, wait a minute. This is kind of confusing. Didn't we just talk about the fact that there is no partiality with God? Remember we just talked about that? That God doesn't have favorites, that there's no spiritual values to circumcision. We talked about the fact that there's no reward for the law. That Jews and Gentiles are all one in Christ. So we're like, what is this about? It seems like Paul is kind of waffling here a little bit on us. Let me tell you that when we read to begin with in verse 2, some, some translations, the New American Standard uses the word first. Um, the Old King James and New King James Version uses the word chiefly, but either way, it's, in Greek it's the word protos, which doesn't necessarily mean in sequence, but in order of importance or priority. The same form is used when Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All of these things shall be added unto you. What's happening here is that the emphasis that's being made is, is this. More important than anything else. That's, that's what's being spoken here. So let's apply that. And he's saying more important than anything else, the value for the Jews is they have been entrusted, they've been given the oracles of God. The word oracles just is a fancy word for the message of God or the words of God. So more important than anything else, they have been given the message of God. Paul is stating there is tremendous benefit there is tremendous advantage in the fact that different than the egyptians different than the babylonians different than the philistines and the canaanites and the jebusites and all the ites the jewish people were given what god spoke to them the jewish people were given the word of god does that matter does that help one commentator said this, 
And you can write this down. I quote, There is no greater advantage than being within earshot of the word of God. I love that. There is no greater advantage. There's not a lot of people writing that down, I notice. There's no greater advantage than being within earshot of the word of God. Not only was that true for the Jews in ancient times, but you know what? It is just as true for you and I today. Do, do you realize, do you just pause for a moment as you dust it off your Bible this morning and say, I've got to take it with me to church because that's what you do. Do you realize what advantage we have to hearing the preaching, the teaching of the Word of God and being able to read this in our own language? Do you even contemplate the cost that it took for you to have those words in your lap on your phone this morning. Do you realize that? In 1535, after working several years, William Tyndale completed the translation from what? From Latin into English, the Word of God. The first English translation of the Word of God. He was 41 years old. 41 years old. What did William Tyndale get as a result of actually completing the first English translation of the Bible? He finished it in 1535. In 1536, he was strangled to death while tied to a stake and then his dead body was burned at 42 years old. 42 years old. He broke every law in his land because he wanted to get the Word of God into everyone's hands. Do you, do you give thought to that, to the grace that has been given to you, that you and I have been blessed to be raised in a country that has been founded upon Judeo-Christian principles? Do we pause on that in God's grace every morning? Yes, he's given to us what? Breath in our lungs. Do you give thought to the opportunity and the privilege that you have to come to, to worship openly? Do you, do you give thought to the fact that you can go to, to Sunday school and learn and expand your mind, your heart, to take your kids to youth group? Now, now, does that get you to heaven? Does being an American or going to church automatically qualify you for heaven? No, absolutely not. But I tell you what, being in a place where the Word is present, being in a place where the Word is proclaimed most certainly is going to help you and guide you, and teach you, and tell you how to get to heaven. And right now, it's this word that's going to teach you how to live here on this earth. Why is it that we make great effort, as we were just reminded about getting what? The word of God into unreached people groups that still exist. That you have to like go burrowing deep into the jungles to find 
so that we get them the word of God. Why is it we sacrifice and, and we send money to, to our missionaries? We have missionary families. I cannot publicly mention their name. who are working in translation work in areas that are hostile to the work of the gospel. Countries of extreme restricted access. Do you realize not only the privilege that has been given to us, but also what? The responsibility that goes with that. Thus, double the tragedy for neglecting the truth of the Word of God. Peter writes this in 2 Peter chapter 2, For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment that had been delivered to them. Think of this. No one has heard the word of God more than the Jewish people. No one saw the hand of God more than the Jewish people. They, they, they saw God up close and personal. They witnessed his power. Protection as the Red Sea opened up. They witnessed firsthand his provision as manna fell from the sky. They witnessed his presence. Just like you and I have witnessed God's grace and mercy just lavishly being poured upon us, poured upon us. And what did the Jewish people do? What, what, what did they do? It says that they stiffened their necks. Exodus uses that term. That's a pretty good description of how I can be at times. I can have a pretty stiff neck. I think we all can. That's the description that's given to those who have been revealed the power and presence of God himself. They stiffen their necks toward him and, and toward the word that was given to them. Thus creating this distance. I commend you as a church because you've sat through some pretty painful preaching at times. I commend you. You've sat through messages that are, there's, there's stuttering and stammering and, and there's mumbling and there's stumbling. But, but take the person, take the presentation aside. You and I know, we have seen it, we've heard it, we have witnessed the power of the Word of God on display. Where we've all heard horrible messages, and yet God used the truth that was preached through this to just pierce hearts, to cut hearts. That's power. I love how, and I wrote to someone just this week about it as an encouragement, Isaiah chapter 55. Listen to this promise in verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving the seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You realize the promise there? It doesn't matter about the person. What matters is about the power that exists in this word of God. How much attention are you giving this? Because you have been entrusted with the word, with the oracles of God. 
Sadly, we learn from history what there are people that have been given the word and they completely squandered it. And they missed out on God revealing his righteousness to them. Can I challenge you this morning? Don't miss that. Don't, don't, don't silence, don't set aside that word. Don't do that. God's righteousness is heard through his word. Number two, God's righteousness is seen through his faithfulness. Interesting, interesting phrases here in the end of verse 3. In the beginning part of verse 4, it says, Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means, exclamation point. We could read, absolutely not. Which is saying what? Regardless of man's response, or lack thereof, God remains faithful in his righteousness. Regardless of how you respond, God remains faithful in his righteousness. I have witnessed with my own eyes many people reject the preaching of the word of God. Does it mean we get rid of it? Nope. We don't have that privilege. We don't have that authority to just say, no, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna nix that part. That's kind of a downer all day. I have witnessed with my own eyes people get baptized, raise up from the river with their arms like, wow! And I've never seen them in church again. They have rejected it. They've completely walked away. I have witnessed people with my own eyes who have stood up and made commitments. I'll be there. I'm going to be faithful. You can count on me. And they've quit. They've, they've walked away from, from home group. They've walked away from any kind of accountability. Does that mean we get rid of those things? Absolutely not. Of course not. God has clearly established for us a path and a plan. Let me tell you this. With all the authority I can muster, His Perfect sovereign will is going to come to full fruition. Is going to come to full completion. And it is not dependent in any way upon mankind's reaction or response. Can I say that again? You, you do realize this. That God has a path that is set, a plan, his will to be accomplished, and it is going to come to full fruition, totally complete, and it's not dependent upon your response or reaction in any way. Paul even adds this. He says, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. Do, do, do you see something that's happening here that's uh, it's bigger than you? It's a lot bigger than me. What the author does here, he's ingenious. The Holy Spirit allows him what to take him back, and he quotes Psalm chapter 51, a portion of Scripture that every single little Jewish person would have been taught in Sunday school. They don't have Sunday school. They had Sabbath school. 
Everyone would have known what this quote is, that you may be justified in your words so that you would prevail when you are judged. Now, what is this talking about? The the direction that we are to be leaning is toward God because he desires what? He has revealed himself to us. He's revealed his righteousness to us so that we make it through the necessary judicial appointment that has been slotted for you and me before the king. God's desire is that you make it through that time. He's given to us everything that we need so that when we, what, stand before him, we only stand for a second because we will bow. It says every knee will bow. That God is actually graciously and faithfully right now, today, this day, God in his righteousness is preparing you for that moment. Do you realize that? That even hearing the preaching of the word of God, by you absorbing this, he's he's preparing you, he's graciously getting you ready for when you stand before him. I've had many conversations with people about the person of who God is. And in, in, in stumbling ways, we speak of God's sovereignty, which we cannot fully comprehend and wrap our minds around. We speak about the fact that God is all-knowing. All-powerful and all-present. That might, alongside of the fact that God is so gracious and patient and loving and gentle with us. All all of those things reflect in some way who God is. his, His person, his character, his attributes. Yet I also have had, and sadly, recently, conversations about the tragedy that happens. I could even say about the horror that happens when mankind hurts mankind. What have we witnessed just in the past several months in our own country and in our own community? Hatred. Violence. Abuse. Injury, even death. Knowing who God is and his righteousness, I think that we would all ask the question, like, excuse me, how can that be? How can that be? We have witnessed in our own adorable little community, we've witnessed this tragic, this tragedy up close. In the past week, a nine-year-old little boy in our community, Anson Stover. And there has been a lot of dialogue and questions and good questions. And it really comes down to the ultimate question of the ages. Why does God allow bad things? And, and that, that almost seems like that doesn't describe Why does God allow horror, horrible things happen to good people? Let's begin by, by asking, do, do, do those acts, does anything that happens in this world change the person of God, the character of God, or the attributes of God? Anything that anyone does in this world, terrorists strap 
bombs on little children and run them into a crowd and detonate them. Like, that is horror beyond horror. Anything that happens, does any of that change the person, the character, the attributes of God? Absolutely not. Not in the least. Does God ever force anyone to love him? Does God ever force anyone to trust him, to honor him? No. No more than you can force someone, please love me. Like we don't, we don't, we don't call. That's not relationship. That's not love. God's desire is for what? God's desire is for righteousness. God's desire is for me to love my wife as Christ loved the church. Which means what? Sacrificially. Every day I do that. No, I don't. Sometimes I am selfish. And I'm not living sacrificially. I'm living selfishly. Do you realize that when I choose to act selfishly, my sin, my action doesn't only hurt my wife. It hurts my children. Grown children. It, it hurts my grandchildren. It hurts the body of believers that God has called me to shepherd. But even worse than that, my selfishness in place of my sacrificial love at times, what it breaks the heart, it grieves the very heart of God. Why? Because he's a righteous God and he desires for me to act righteously. Is, is my action God's fault? Absolutely not. I cannot pin my sin on him any more than we can pin the atrocities that happen around us on God. Instead, what has God done? He has graciously, he has graciously stepped in and he paid for my wretchedness. He's paid for my selfishness. He's paid for my sinfulness when he sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross, to suffer on the cross in the place that I deserve to die. You see, that, that is, that's what we're talking about. That is the righteousness of God on display. Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. God forbid. In times and seasons such as this, this is the time we need to actually lean into. This is the moment we need to lean on and see the hope and the love that God offers in an otherwise hopeless, ugly, hate-filled world. Pause on these words that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 5. It says this. We actually spent some time on this this summer, but we need to hear it again. For our sake, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness. There's that word, that we might become the righteousness of God. We see the righteousness of God on display through the faithfulness of God, regardless of what mankind choose to do. We don't ever pin our sin on him. Thirdly, God's righteousness is demonstrated through his justice. So some of the criticisms that the Apostle Paul was receiving, especially from what the, his, his Jewish opponents, was that he was teaching a doctrine that we would call today in, in kind of simple terms, he's teaching a doctrine, what is called cheap grace. So people are criticizing Paul, you're just saying what? Well, if God is going to forgive sinners anyway, and we know that he is, we've seen that in Scripture, we've seen that in the book of Romans already. If, if God is going to be glorified, and we know that he's, he, he's going to be glorified, we've already seen that in the book of Romans, Paul's already taught that. Why not live however we want? What does it really matter anyway? You ever feel like that? Why not love however you want to want? If, if two men want to love each other as husbands, which is hard to even... Well, then God's going to forgive, right? Love whoever you want. Hate whoever you want. We know God's going to forgive, right? That's truth. God's going to be glorified, right? So hate. Hate that person because of what they did, what they said. That's, that's, that's not what Scripture teaches us. We don't, we don't see that in Scripture. If we're going to do whatever we want, we're going to live however we want, God's going to be glorified, let's just party our way through. That's, that's called cheap grace. It doesn't work like that. Why? Why not? The answer is found in the final four words of our text this morning. Let's back it up just a little bit. Look, look at verse 5. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, and here's the last four words. Romans chapter 3, verse 8. Their condemnation is just. Their condemnation is just. In in Pauline theology, in, 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 all, in all biblical theology, and in what? And in the doctrine theology that Bigwood's Bible Church preaches and believes. Let me make it very clear. What we see in the Word of God is that there is no room whatsoever for someone to take Jesus as Savior, but not take Him as Lord of His life. If you remember baptisms, and the question that is asked, do you, have you received Jesus as Savior and Lord? It's not just one or the other. You, 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 can't, you can't split that. You can't detract that. If you try to say, I just accept him as Savior. I know he's going to forgive my sin. I know he's going to be glorified. And I'm going to live however I want. That's bad theology. That's bad teaching. That's errance. That's heresy. Why not do evil that good may come? Paul very strongly here corrects them from trying to twist his words, twist his teaching, 
by saying what? They will be condemned, and rightfully so. Technically, it's called antinomianism. Think of the word anti, against, or no. Nomos, law, so no law. Which means just live however you want. But you realize that by God giving to us instruction on how to live, you realize that that living this way is showing that we're in submission to his authority, that he's Lord. By, by living this way according to his word, not, not all in the old covenant. We're allowed to wear clothes with more than one type of thread that is stitched through it. We have the freedom and grace to enjoy, what, some shrimp? But what he's saying is what? You cannot obey the law at all apart from Jesus. He's the only one who has totally fulfilled it. He's the only one we put our trust and faith in him that, that takes life from the drudgery that it is at times and moves it into absolute delight. You cannot, as people are, people are promoting today, and sadly it's even being taught you cannot live however you want. John chapter 1, verse 16, By his fullness we have received grace upon grace. So we know that grace is going to be extended. So what? what is that doing? If you take that out of context, it's twisting. And it's distorting the full truth and weight. The counsel of God's word. Why? Because holiness matters. What you watch. What you celebrate. How you think, that actually matters. Obedience matters. Submission to authority matters. Sanctification, being set apart to holiness for the glory of God. Sanctification matters and that's what the Holy Spirit is doing as he works in us and through us. And I love this. He works by us. The Holy Spirit in us works by us. Like he, he desires for us to have part in what he is doing. In establishing his kingdom for his glory. Philippians chapter 2, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do, do, you, do you see God here? Like, he's not standing far off. He's not in the, the, the background. Okay, he is standing out front. And he uses us. R.C. Sproul says it like this, even when we sin, our unrighteousness indirectly bears witness to the righteousness of God. And I understand, like, there's a lot here, like, it's only a short text, eight verses, but it's heavy, and I understand it's like you've been working and churning through this, but people, more than anything else, in a world where everything is, like, shifting and moving, and we're not quite, do we hang up lights, and somebody's going to yell at us and, and write mean stuff about, it? I can't believe you're hanging up lights. Do we come to church or not come to church? Do we watch online, wear the mask, don't wear the mask, what do we do? Everyone's kind of, like, tight. All of that aside, see God in perfect righteousness. 
is he sees you. And he loves you. He loves you. As weird and wild as we all are, he loves us. And that's what we begin to see as we kind of open the door of another chapter. It's still heavy, I understand, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel. It's not a freight train. It's coming right at us. It's good news. And we have that good news to hold on to as we celebrate over these next couple weeks the birth, the incarnation of God who was made flesh and dwelt among us. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for your word that has been given. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and righteousness. Even when we are faithless, it doesn't nullify, it doesn't change your faithfulness. Thank you for the hope that is offered in a hopeless world. Lord, encourage our hearts, but also embolden us to speak of your righteousness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.